Hello, and welcome back to Lit by Moonlight, where it's not a phase to gaslight Jessica Chastain into playing Celia St. James in the Netflix adaptation of the book we're about to review. We are back from our May hiatus to talk about Taylor Jenkins Reid's The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo. This is not, I repeat, not a foiler. Not, no, no, no. It's also not a foiler. Oh my god, this is so difficult. It has been okay. so long since we have recorded. <laughs> this has taken us like five times. This is not a spoiler-free podcast. Not a spoiler-free podcast. Get out of here if you have not read and do not want spoilers for The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo by Taylor Jenkins Reid. I'm Caitlin, and I cannot stop watching all of these actors on actors videos that Variety is putting out, and all of their mm. interviews with just like random people. Um, they're kind of doing the most right now, and I have never watched so much Variety in my life. I couldn't agree more. I really do think they're becoming like the central hub for learning more about A-list actors. Mm-hmm. I feel like they're completely replacing like late night television. I was just gonna say late um, night, yeah. I Eddie Burback. I know. I know we're both thinking about it, does this great video essay. He recently put this out, I think it was like a month or two ago, Mm -hmm. talking a lot about how places, like, not places, but magazines like Variety, and uh, I think W is another one, have kind of taken over for late night as being the main source of news and opportunities to to hear about and learn about celebrities. So I really, I don't hate it. I really don't hate it, it. you know, at the end of the day. As someone who doesn't watch late night. YouTube is free. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, YouTube is free. Cable sometimes is not, unless you have an antenna. So I'll take it, you know. Especially since the quality of the content seems superior. Yeah, and also, it's funny, and I think Addy talks about this in his video too, but, like, YouTube is where most people watch the late night stuff anyway. I don't know how many people are actually, like, being like, oh, gotta turn to my NBC at 10 p.m. to watch Jimmy or whoever, whichever white man it is that hosts late night now. (laughs) Yeah. No, for real. For real, for real. Um... And then, yeah, well, I'm, like, I'm like ready to derail this episode and just talk about that. Because then I'm like, oh, but then, like, they canceled Z-Way. So, like, oh, my God, they thinking? canceled Z-Way? <laughs> they canceled Z-Way. This is how I find so, out? <laughs> yep, this is how you find out. How was I supposed to know that Z-Way was going to get canceled? Or was I just supposed to find out myself? Um, my own podcast. I'm at Berlin, folks, and I am nothing if not an online quiz taker. Felt, have you taken, taken any uh, good online quizzes lately? No, I really just could not think of another icebreaker. Um, I almost said something about, I couldn't, I, this is the prompt that I had a, a lot of difficulty with because usually, you know, you and I introduce ourselves and we, talk, we just kind of give like a quick like one line status of what we're up to. Yeah. Um, and I had a hard time with this because like, I don't know, like the things I want to talk about uh, that I want to share with you people, <laughs> I just like didn't have anything. But then I was thinking today about that submarine off the coast of... <gasps> What is it, Newfoundland? Yeah, something like that. And, like, it's being, it's, like, full of billionaires, essentially, and it's, like, possibly been lost to the sea, which is very That's sad. horrible. Um, but also, we've recently learned a lot of new things about that submarine that I think are very interesting. For example, that um, it has been controlled, but it is, like, the way that they control these submarines, that this venture capitalist who put these submarines together uh-huh. for his company, Ocean Gate, which is in itself... I hate to say this, 
kind of fucking hilarious <laughs> that your company is named Ocean Gate. Like, you're basically just setting yourself up for scandal. It, yeah, I was um, going to say, it sounds like, uh, like, <laughs> immediately I went to Deflate Gate from the NFL. <laughs> Deflate Gate, yeah. Or Watergate, yeah. you know? It's like, what are you even... But anyway, I, it's, it's, the joke kind of writes itself because apparently this thing is piloted by a PlayStation controller, a Logitech PlayStation controller. What? Wait, wait, for real, for real? (laughs) Yeah, there's a CBS, um, there's a CBS news segment floating around, um, where one of the reporters from CBS visits this, uh, the submarine, and, like, he says that. He literally says that. The venture capitalist does. The man that mans these submarines. And then he also talks about how, like, he put them together, how they're built, and how they use, like, a lot of just, like, different raw materials to do this. Like, he points to, at one point to some of the bolting or whatever, mm-hmm. like, at the top of the submarine, and he goes, I got these at Camping World. And I'm like, <laughs> how have you been allowed <laughs> To do what you've done for so long. I was going to say, if it fits, it ships, but this clearly isn't working out for him. (laughs) Oh, my God. Um, So, other than, yeah, if I'm not taking online quizzes, I am watching TikTok video after TikTok video about this because I just think it's so crazy. So, anyway, Kaylin, back to our book. Mm -hmm. Um, Let's talk a little bit about Evelyn Hugo. Um, Can you tell me a little bit about this book? No. Okay. <laughs> yes, I can. Then get in the submarine and get out of my face. I got a boat to catch. I gotta go. Evelyn Hugo is many things. She's mysterious, beautiful, glamorous, and scandalous, and yet she has primarily been defined by her seven husbands for the last 79 years. It's time for things to change, for Evelyn to tell her own story in her own words, and she chooses small-time journalist Monique Grant to do it. With every turn of the page, we are shocked by Evelyn's truth and the unexpected impact it has on Monique. Now, this is where I spoil everything, so please pause now if you haven't read um, and don't want to learn about what's to come. But there are many great revelations from Evelyn as she plays out her life story for Monique. With the two greatest being that the love of Evelyn's life was, in fact, not a single one of her seven husbands, but her wife, Celia St. James, um, who happens to be a fellow actress. Um, And perhaps more shocking than this, Evelyn implicates herself in the death of Monique's father, James, who had secretly been having an affair with Evelyn's platonic soulmate and ex-husband, Harry. Um, And essentially what happens is Harry and James have been driving when Harry struck a pole and killed James in the process, and Harry was also driving under the influence. So, Caitlin, what did you think of the world building in this book? What I really liked about how the story was told was that a lot of it is told through article headlines and like little snippets of like um like newspapers or magazines or tabloids whatever um that we get additional information on evelyn's life from but we also get to see how she was perceived by the public uh we through evelyn we learn so much how fake hollywood is like how artificial her feelings were and what was actually going on behind the scenes and to read the headlines that play into this fake narrative that Evelyn has to tell or headlines that are totally missing the real story was really interesting to me. Like there was a part in the book where uh, they, the headlines make it seem like Evelyn is refusing to have children. And there's the one that's just like, Oh, poor, whichever husband it was, Evelyn's not giving him babies. Uh, Because apparently that's all these people think uh, (laughs) women are made for. Um, And the truth was that, and if I remember correctly, this is the guy who was abusing her, and she didn't want children with him, and it just makes tabloids and that whole world seem super gross, which is really, like, 
honestly true in the real world and they had to mm-hmm. make up some story where she was pregnant but then she lost the baby and just to make the tabloids be like oh actually sorry she's actually not that bad it's just a sad story now and it's just something to you know appease the people um mm-hmm. so that was a really interesting aspect uh i feel like it really added to why evelyn hasn't sat down for an interview like this before because so many people yeah. got it wrong throughout her career and the or like the time period just wouldn't allow her story to be told anyway so it was really that was really interesting to me i also really feel like the articles and the little snippets from the papers like it made it feel real to me um much like Daisy Jones and the Six, also by Taylor Jenkins Reid, uh, felt like a real band to me. Evelyn Hugo felt like a real actress that I was just getting the deets on. So any, if anything, I really just need to continue to read Taylor Jenkins Reid's books because I think they're very fun and they got like a really cool, really cool like, is this the real life or is this just fantasy? <laughs> yes i saw that you took out um carrie soto is back in our shared library. i did i'm excited i'm gonna start it this week it is such a good book um i i think that sometimes i'm like it's like a debate for me like which tjr book is my favorite i really do not know mm-hmm. because carrie soto is definitely up there with daisy jones and evelyn hugo exciting Um, So in March, we talked a lot about Daisy Jones and the Six um, as we were reviewing the Prime uh, show adaptation. Um, And obviously, we had a lot to say about that. And you should definitely check it out if you had a chance, because um, I think it's pretty, pretty good. It was fun. Um, It was very very fair. (laughs) We're very, very fair. We are super fair to the show adaptation. And we had a lot to say. Uh, Please go check it out because they were really fun to record. Um, I know we talked a lot then about the book as well mm-hmm. and how incredibly talented and believable TJR is as a world builder. Like she just, she has this really incredible talent of bringing her characters to life in a way that kind of blurs the lines of fiction and nonfiction to the, to the extent that I feel like we want to believe that Evelyn Hugo existed, that we want to believe that Daisy Jones did or Carrie Soto because they feel so real to us. Um, and they are... Also, obviously based on, or at least influenced by real people, which is what makes their stories, I think, all the more believable, mm-hmm. all the more palpable. Um, I read Kate Anderson Bauer's Elizabeth Taylor biography not long after this, and there was a surprising amount of overlap. Mm. Um, they had very similar gritty personalities, Evelyn and Elizabeth, that is, and they both kind of threw themselves very passionately into their relationships, and they both had a very similar drive to support the queer community. Evelyn's obviously because she's a part of that community and then Elizabeth's because she knew many people um some of her dearest closest friends were part of that community so um I found that really interesting and I think anybody who reads Evelyn Hugo should go and read this biography because I do think it like they overlap in a really interesting way um there's a lot of crossover um but then I have to agree with you Caitlin I think uh the technique that Taylor Jenkins Reid uses of including these secondary sources like newspaper clippings um, really pulls everything together um, and it's what really I think helped make this book more than fiction to me it, it kind of felt like a real experience mm-hmm. like from an alternative universe that we were reading about and I really enjoyed that was there a specific moment in this book that hooked you yeah I had to actually the first is Monique's why me moment um, and I think that's what really kept me going in this book. Like, that's what got me interested. 
And that's what kept me involved because I could not possibly imagine why Evelyn would have chosen her. Mm-hmm. Um, at first I was like, maybe it's women supporting other women. <laughs> maybe it's like Evelyn knows Monique somehow. Um, I think um, we know there's a really good reason, but we can't for the life of us wrap our heads around what it means um, until later in the book. And I feel like TJR does a good job with this because early in the book, um, Monique calls her mom and asks her if her dad had anything to do with Evelyn Hugo or knew anything about him mm-hmm. or knew anything about um, his relationship with, with television and, and movies such that he might have crossed paths with her at some point. And she writes that off immediately. You know, she looks through a box of his thing. She says, nope, nothing about it. Um, and I think if I would read this over again, I would see that as a hint. But in retrospect, when I first read it, I was like, oh, well, that's not how they're, inter- they're you know, intertwined, um, which is silly, but it still did shock me. I think when we get to the end and we learn why exactly, um, and I think that that why is what keeps me hanging on, like, page after page. Yeah. And then the introduction of Celia, um, and I say this with the, I think, the context that I went into this not knowing it was going to be a sapphic book, um, but it's so clear from the beginning that they're going to be more than friends. Mm-hmm. Not knowing that, I was like, okay, why should I care about Evelyn's seven husbands? Not that her dynamic with, with each of them wasn't interesting, but I kind of assumed it would be some sort of murder mystery or something mm-hmm. like that. Because it's like, okay, what is what is the intent for us learning about these seven partners that she had? And then when we learn about Celia, it kind of flips the script because then it's like, now hold on a minute. <laughs> Wait a minute. Um, and I think, I mean, I'm on the fence about this because part of me is like, you know, the fact that this shocks me is disappointing. Mm, like, yeah. I don't want the dynamic of me being shocked by Celia being Evelyn's love interest to cheapen their relationship mm-hmm. because it's so important. But I really do think that once I learned that, it was what kept me reading because it's so rare, I think. Or at least it was at the time that I read this book originally, which was, I think, last year sometime. Um it was so rare for me to read a sapphic book like this. So it was great. Um, yeah. What about you? <laughs> <laughs> well, to go off of your your first point, um, I was so determined on trying to figure out why Evelyn chose Monique that I kept being like, I did a buddy read uh, of this book with my friend Anna, and I kept texting her I'm like, oh, maybe she's her granddaughter somehow, and I'm like trying to mm. like trying to like remember, and I'm just like kept throwing shit at her, and like a lot of it had to be like, oh maybe they're maybe they're related somehow, or something something to do with their life, or maybe then I kept thinking of um, like it's mentioned a couple times that Monique had just. I, were they married and then they got divorced or they were in a relationship? Either way, her her relationship has ended with her partner, David, I think his name was. Um, <laughs> I'm going to say David um, until proven otherwise by someone. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, and he was mentioned a couple times in the beginning. I was like, what if she's connected to him somehow? Because truthfully, David didn't need to be there in the book because he really wasn't there. Um I wasn't really he kind of was there to like add on to like what was happening in Monique's life and why like this opportunity was so exciting and great for her to take and for her to kind of take control Mm -hmm. of her life or whatever but other than that he had no purpose 
And so I felt like he was kind of a good red herring in a way to be like, Mm -hmm. oh, but what about this guy? Like, he's still mentioned, so maybe it's easily him. And then you're so right. Like, they immediately wrote off anything having to do with her father in the beginning. Because I remember thinking, wait, her dad worked in, like, production on movies. Like, maybe maybe him and maybe and I, I thought like maybe he had an affair and like Monique's like actually <laughs> her daughter granddaughter thing I don't know I was trying to I was trying to like like uh I th- was throwing out all of these things and just seeing what stuck and all of them were wrong um so I like I know like wanting to know why Monique was chosen is honestly like the actual truth like the actual hook of the book and the point mm-hmm. But it got me so good because I'm someone who, like, I love guessing and I love throwing things out there and being like, ha, I told you. See, I said it. <laughs> Just to be like, look, I did it. Even though there's, like, 20 other wrong guesses beforehand. <laughs> like, to be like, yeah, well, I did say this at one point. So, because <laughs> um, I'm super annoying. But uh, I had I had really fun throughout the book trying to guess why. And when you find out what the reason is, I was completely shocked by it. So I was excited that... It hooked me, and then it didn't disappoint at all. Yeah, I think, I almost wonder if, like, a second read of the book is warranted to see if there are any other hints that TJR yeah. throws in that, like, we just totally missed. I feel like I only ever hear people, I've never heard someone say about this book, oh, I guessed it from the beginning. Like, right? if you did, you're weird. <laughs> you're a um, liar. <laughs> but, like, you know, so I, I, I'd really be interested to see, like, if, if like, what the setup is for this and, and like, if there are hints earlier on in the book that we totally missed, yeah, maybe that would have explained what happens later. Well, it kind of um, it kind of reminds me of how in in spoilers if you haven't read Daisy Jones or watched the show, but you find out that the person interviewing them is Billy and Camila's daughter, and I remember being absolutely shocked by that one um, when I read. So TJR has some really good shock value in her books that you don't see coming. Yeah. I would agree with that. I think that it's probably fair to say that um, she also excels as a writer. So I'd like to hear about some of your favorite quotes from this book. I've got a few. Um, I really liked the quote. It happens early on in the book. She says, uh, Evelyn says to Monique, when you're given an opportunity to change your life, be ready to do whatever it takes to make it happen. And I really like this quote because <laughs> I was reading this book like in between like me applying for a job and waiting for the interview process and then getting an interview and then I d- ended up getting the job. So I was really excited about it. I was like, yeah, I took this opportunity and I'm going to make it happen. And then like by the time I finished the book, I got the job and I was like, yeah. <laughs> so it was like a really, Aww. really nice, like timely book and a really nice quote to hear. Um, I also I think my very favorite quote from this book is when you realize you can tell someone your truth when you can show yourself to them when you stand in front of them bear in their responses you're safe with me that's intimacy and I have a lot more to say Mm. about this later but I love just the idea of just having a person in your life that you can you don't even have to worry about judgment or anything you can just be wholly and truly yourself and that's why I love that quote so much and then finally I liked you do not know how fast you have been running, how hard you have been working, how truly exhausted you are until someone stands behind you and says, it's okay, you can fall down now, I'll catch you. Because it kind of goes along with that same theme of like having that person will always have you, your back, no matter what, and just being there for you when you don't even realize that you need them. So I really like those. Mm. 
How about you? What did you, what stood out to you? Well, yeah, I want to go back to um, the line about intimacy for a second mm-hmm. um, because there's two lines that premise that um, that I think are what made this quote really stick with me. Yeah. And it starts, people think that intimacy is about sex, but intimacy is about truth. And then it goes on to say, when you realize you can tell someone your truth, mm-hmm. when you can show yourself to them, when you stand in front of them bare and the response is, you're safe with me, that's intimacy. Um, I like this line because it does a good job of kind of distinguishing mm-hmm. vulnerability from sex. Um, because sex doesn't necessarily have to be a vulnerable thing. Right. Um, in some cases. Um, but intimacy, I think intimacy is about authenticity. It's about vulnerability. It's about the ability to be yourself. And some of my most intimate relationships in my life personally are with people who I could be myself around when it mattered. And the love was there every time, but it was not always. And this is the key thing based in sex and romantic love. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's really special. Um, because we often, I think, juxtapose intimacy to love, romantic love, and sex. And I think that that, I think that's reductive. Um, mm-hmm. Because friendship can be like a really powerful force um, when it comes to feeling safe, having a space to be vulnerable, sometimes even more so than romantic relationships, actually mm-hmm. a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. Um and then, like, sometimes those things blur the lines, um, you know, and there's, like, romantic elements of your friendships and vice versa. And I, I feel like this line does a good job of kind of, like, if I was going to talk about where those lines blur and the value of the intimacy that we have with our, our platonic soulmates, this is what I would probably point to. Yeah. Another quote I really like, um, and I, I like this quote because I feel like it kind of encapsulates the entire book very well um and it's it's always been fascinating to me how things can be simultaneously true and false how people can be good and bad all in one how someone can love you in a way that is beautifully selfless while serving themselves ruthlessly mm-hmm. um I just love this because Evelyn and Celia um and Harry I think are all kind of morally great characters like they aren't necessarily good or bad. They just kind of are. Um, and I like that so much because I didn't really want them to be perfect. I just wanted them to be interesting, and they mm-hmm. were. Um, so that's why I like that quote. Um, I think it's the quote I would use if I was ever going to be asked about this book. I'd probably just say, oh, well, here's a quote from <laughs> to kind of give you an idea of what it's about without giving anything away. Yeah, that's a good um, one. And then the last one I want to talk about, um, and I, I like this dependent of – where it sits in the book and what it has to do with anything but um it's in a love letter that i believe evelyn writes to celia and she says please never forget that the sun rises and sets with your smile at least to me it does you're the only thing on this planet worth worshiping oh. <sighs> i got me crying i love this quote <laughs> i love this quote it's so, it's so nice. beautiful because queer love letters are one of my favorite relics of history this idea that like we found a space to communicate with each other despite being hidden. Mm-hmm. Like, it's so, it's just, like, really, like, sometimes I Google them, and I just read them, and I'm like, everything is going to be okay, maybe. Um, there's a quote uh, in particular from uh, Alan, Alan Ginsberg in his letter to Peter Orlovsky, 
which is quoted in Casey McQuinston's Red, White, and Royal Blue, which I also just read. Um, and it reminded me a lot of this quote. And the quote is, Though I long for the actual sunlight contact between us, I miss you like home. Shine back, honey, and think of me. Oh, All of these that's so sun sweet. metaphors. I was like, like literally crying. <laughs> like, I just, and there's something, oh. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's like, it gives me so many pent up emotions because it's like, the fact that we were able to like, cont- like not even we, because it wasn't me, I didn't have to go through this, mm-hmm. but um, the fact that um, the queer community um of of years past found ways to communicate like literal prose to yeah. each other like poetic poetic incantations to one another um despite being hunted for sport um <laughs> is just like i'm like speechless about it mm-hmm. it's so wonderful um and scary and fucked up and sad but also the what's been said is beautiful so i don't know um, whenever I read that, it just reminds me a lot of that quote, and it makes me want to lay down on the floor for a little while. Yeah. Um, it's beautiful. Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, while we're all recovering from those beautiful quotes, do you have a song that you would listen to while penning a letter to the secret love of your life? Oh, yeah. Um, this was hard because I feel like I probably have a playlist somewhere for this. Yeah. Um, like for real, for real. But... I was thinking about it a lot this weekend. I went, I was by the ocean um, last week um, because I was trying to do that thing that women do in Victorian novels where it's like they get sick and their dad says, please, like, send her to the ocean. She needs to go to the ocean to get some sea air and she'll feel better. Um, Why was that a thing? So I pulled a little women and I went to the ocean <laughs> and I made myself like a sun, a sunset, like a sunrise playlist so I could use like, I could, like, as I was walking along the coast, I could listen to music. Oh, nice. And this song came on, and it made me think of, like, penning a letter to a lover that is secret. And kind of, like, I don't know, like, the romance of that um, and the tragedy. Um, so this is, the song that I chose was Time After Time by Margaret Whiting. Mm. Um, and... I think I also thought of this song a lot when I first read Evelyn and Celia's letters to one another because there's, like, this really interesting old Hollywood aesthetic in this book. I don't want to say aesthetic because I don't want to aestheticize old Hollywood, but (laughs) that's kind of what the vibe is. But, um, yeah, that was it for me. How about you? I thought of this song that I'm about to mention (laughs) Uh, in this book because the title of it was said a couple times, but also I feel like it really... uh, speaks to um the love in this book and that is true blue by boy genius um it's probably going to be really high up there on my <laughs> spotify <laughs> rap this year because when it, yeah i first heard this song in the <laughs> in the dc airport when it was released <laughs> and i was sitting there i i you know they released 20 dollars emily i'm sorry and true blue and true blue was the last one mm-hmm. i listened to and i remember sitting there in the airport trying to hold back tears <laughs> and just be like oh oh it does feel good to be known by you <laughs> like what this is crazy and like crying over it and also um because in this book harry and evelyn would always say like oh stay true blue like to each other and there's a lot to be said about platonic soulmates in this book mm-hmm. which i will speak to in a minute but this song and in fact this album is very much about like being in love with your friends and your platonic soulmates and the line it feels good to be known so well i can't hide from you like i hide from myself it gets me every time and 
it it like hurts me but like in a good way <laughs> and I just yeah. think I just think about my friends and the people I love in my life when I hear it and I'm like wow this is true blue <laughs> unreal I remember I think I you were while you were at the airport I was like at my house like, <laughs> I remember the pictures that you had just show. left and I like wa- I was listening to the song and I walked into the kitchen and you had left a coffee cup like sitting oh. or something that was like or like a water glass something that was like not fully drank and I was like okay you need to drink that coffee I'll always remember that the introduction my introduction to the song because it really it's exactly that and then like have you ever watched the music video yeah um, yeah out there who are listening to us scream about this um I feel like it does a great job of like putting it all together yeah um I just remember, like, oh. crying in the airport and sending a picture of you to be like, have you listened to the new Boy Genius? And you sent me a picture of you sobbing, and you're like, come back! <laughs> it was so sweet and so lovely. And it was, like, such perfect and also kind of horrible timing because it was really emotional. But, like, yeah, it was perfect. Boy Genius was like, I'm sorry, are you and your best friend of, like, a decade plus leaving each other? Are you parting ways? To go back to your lives? Here's an album <laughs> Here. to make you sad. <laughs> Here's some music after a few years of not posting music together. Yeah. It's like, okay. Thanks, boy genius. Thank you, boy genius. Um, Yay. Yeah. No. It's a no from me. <laughs> um, was there a character in this book that you love, Caitlin? Harry. <laughs> Literally, it's funny because like I really liked him. I liked him so much, but the only notes I have is Harry with a sad, with like a smiley face that's crying. I literally, oh, he's such a tragic character. He is, and I think that's why, like, I love him so much because all th- he was such, in the craziness of Evelyn's life, in like the multiple husbands, the different sets she had to be on, the different movies, the different atmospheres that like some were great and some were scary and some were horrible and some were okay. He was like the constant in her life, mm-hmm. and no matter what happened, she always had him to fall back on literally and he was always there for her and vice versa and it was just to have a person so steady in your life is so lovely especially when your life is crazy so I Uh I just really loved that not only was he a character who was um someone that Evelyn could turn to but also that he did have a life of his own he wasn't just like he wasn't just there for Evelyn he also Mm. like you got to see like what he did like with his job and then his love life and like that was very much a part of the story so I just really liked learning more about him and getting to know him more and when everything happens like I was so attached to him like he was like my favorite he was like the one character where the entire time I was never like oh he's so annoying right now like which was fun mm-hmm. it's just fun to have with your characters especially like your main characters like with Evelyn there were many times where I'm like, oh my god, I love her, but she's so annoying. I'm like, oh my god, she's so frustrating right now. Oh my god, why would she say that? Oh my god, I love her. Oh, I Evelyn, love this for her. Stop. <laughs> Evelyn, stop. <laughs> You're crazy. What's going on? <laughs> then also, Evelyn, stop. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, come on. But Harry was always like, Harry, yeah. <laughs> I like him. <laughs> so uh, very much, very much, Harry was my favorite character in this book. How about you? I, it's been so long since I read this book yeah. that when you said that, I was just thinking about Harry Styles. I was like, <laughs> he's in this? I don't yeah. Um, I think, I think Evelyn is 
a very fascinating character because of her moral ambiguity. Mm-hmm. Um, she does a lot of horrible things, frankly, yeah. in this book. Mm-hmm. Um, namely, implicating <laughs> Mon- Monique's dad in a car crash yeah. where Harry was at the wheel and then trying to make up for it in a way that is also very questionable. Yep. Which, to me, first of all, first of all, I just want to say <laughs> the fact that we're all like, Evelyn, no, when it's like also Harry, no, is yeah. kind of ridiculous because I feel like she gets, I think she gets justified flack in from readers for doing this, but it's also like, I don't know, let's not, let's not pretend like this man who, yes, has an addiction issue um doesn't have any basic autonomy and could have like maybe not done that yeah you know? maybe you don't get behind the wheel um, when you're drunk <laughs> yeah, like <laughs> maybe it's like, don't it's like rule number one it's like the one thing they tell you okay? yeah literally. Um, wait side so, note really quick side note i remember uh when i was little like you know you would always see like don't drink and drive and i, I didn't know that it was just alcohol so i was like so we can't have a capri sun and like i remember like being in the car with my parents and like my mom having a sip of water i'm like mom the signs (laughs) you're not supposed to drink and drive and she's like no (laughs) not that one like this is fine i think that harry could have benefited a lot from my driver's ed teacher um whose name was mr myers and myers um he wasn't like he wasn't everyone's driver's ed teacher, I think, at the high school, but he was mine for the five-hour course. Um, He's the one you wanted. We need to get into technicalities. <laughs> but who, who, who does need to get into technicalities was Mr. Myers. So he would just, <clears throat> he would just kind of go on and on about the harms of drink driving mm-hmm. by providing personal anecdotes of, like, scenarios where people he knew had drank and drive and drive, drink and driven, I guess, and face the consequences. Mm-hmm. Um, and he would just, like, it, what? I was, what, like, 18, 17. I got my license late in life for this reason, maybe, also. <laughs> um, but he would just be like, yeah, they were pulling her bones out of the trees. Like, oh my God. he'd come up with things. He'd be like, he'd be like, he'd be like, and her legs <laughs> were on her head. the stoplights. <laughs> But as like, so no. But as sixteen to eighteen year olds, you're like, huh, okay, I won't do that. <laughs> I was like, I guess I will not drink and drive. Then I will call an Uber every time. Oh my god. Or I'll walk and get my steps in. But yeah, like she she has like a really incredible story. Like the idea of Evelyn is so interesting. Mm-hmm. She's like fighting her way through Hollywood, trying to get some notoriety, the credibility that she feels she deserves, and basically coming from nothing. Um, during a time when if she had been outed, it probably would have destroyed her. Um, she's so interesting. I feel like her willingness to go all in for her friends and the love she had to give despite everything that happened to her. Um, and the fact that she loved her friends so much that she was even willing to break a lot of ethical boundaries to do, you know, to take care of them is very interesting. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying it's good hear me i'm not saying it's good but it's very interesting um and i think we talk about this a lot on the show right it's like Mm -hmm. it's nice when you have a female character that is morally ambiguous like she's not necessarily bad maybe she's a little bad but like 
it doesn't it doesn't like it doesn't discount how interesting of a character she is right is there a character you didn't love um honestly i mean except for maybe the obvious uh husband whose name i forget the one that like (laughs) abuses her um i didn't like him but there wasn't like a character throughout this where i'm like i don't like him i don't like him at all or, or like her or them or whatever like i did, so i don't really have an answer for this but i'm sure i would probably with your answer be like yeah actually you're right <laughs> you know yeah um so none that stood out for me but i think a lot of the characters in the book made some choices where i'm like mm, that's a choice <laughs> what are you doing yeah uh, you did that you sure that was sure a thing that you did um but none that had me like because usually there's at least a character where I'm just like, oh my god, I cannot stand you at all. <laughs> um, yeah. But I didn't really have that in this book. But like I said, besides the obvious abusive husband who's a piece of shit, didn't like him at all. <laughs> yeah. So who did who did you not love? I mean, that's a good point because I kind of forgot about all of the husbands. I <laughs> right, I forgot about all the husbands. Is this for Harry and Celia? <laughs> With the exception of those two people, if you were to ask me to name the other six husbands, I would probably be super, super confused. Which I'd probably be like, I think if I don't know Evelyn that. was real, like we sometimes forget she isn't, um, I think she'd be pleased to hear that. <laughs> that the actual yeah. takeaway from this book was, we don't remember any of the husbands except for her best friend and her wife. <laughs> it's not about them. Yeah. Um, but other than that, no. I think, I think like in terms of character development, there were probably, I probably had higher expectations for some characters. Mm-hmm. Like I think, for example, that Monique's storyline is pretty underdeveloped to the extent that I really found that her parts were taking me out of the story. Mm. Um, and like part of that is warranted because this book is about Evelyn and her life, and her characterization is really what draws you in. Mm-hmm. Um, to the extent that like you're really like page turning when it comes to her sections of the book and then maybe there were times when I would get to Monique sections and I'd be like okay this is a this is a natural pause for me yeah um but at the same I just feel like I really wanted more from Monique because like her lifestyle her life her background it it's a, it's central to the, the plot point of the story like the plot twist um so I wanted more I wanted to better understand the way that her father James's death affected her in life yeah and I thought I got that somewhat but not enough um and it sucks because like I really wanted to be interesting in her interested in her and I felt like I wasn't as interested I felt like I wasn't as engaged with her character mm-hmm. um and I feel like I'm still debating if that's okay part of me is like that's okay because this book is about Evelyn but the other part of me is like okay so like how does this fit and like yeah. did have to and like was it essential i don't know i wonder if like to the point of like wanting to get to know more about like her and like um understand how james's death affected her more i wonder if we mm-hmm. if we got more of like flashbacks of like what it used to be like with her dad or her life i wonder if that would have like almost given away yeah. the twist and it would have been too mm-hmm. on the nose because it's like up until that point it's just like why are we learning this information even though it would have been nice I think maybe there should have been more about her life in the beginning than what we got other than like the mention of like her dad working in production and where she is now and where her family life is at now but I wonder if it might have been maybe like too obvious if we got more and maybe that's why TJR decided not to do it but also 
I also agree like this isn't about Monique really but I also <laughs> was like kind of like I would speed read through her sections because half the time it's just like I'm just here to get more information on why this could be you and why you're yeah. being interviewed and then at the end and she's just like and then I would I guess I would hate Evelyn and I'm like but why <laughs> we just have to read yeah. more so yeah yeah I just it just did I just didn't find myself engaging as much with with her narrative mm-hmm. um and I do I really I don't know if like I'm not really interested in like flashbacks to her yeah, same. dad's death like to her dad but I'm interested in learning more about her grief mm, and yeah, her yeah, yeah. like processing of that death because like it seems like it has a central role in her life um, but then it's also, like, I don't know. I feel like at the end of the day, I just, like, was missing a lot from her chapters. And for her to kind of be considered a central character in the story and to kind of, like, not have that same attention given to her in terms of character development as Evelyn is. Yeah. Like, I just was like, okay, I just need to get through this. <laughs> um, Did you have any peaks and valleys of the seven yeah. husbands of Evelyn Hugo? I had I had two peaks and a couple valleys as well. Um, so kind of a kind of a bumpy hill we're going up and down. <laughs> but um, I've read a lot of books recently where the writing, like no T-shirt shade, but like has been so juvenile. Yeah. Um, and not to sound pretentious, but I have like a really hard time engaging with those books. Like, it's just like there's something about someone like saying like her toes curled. She stuck her tongue out. That <laughs> makes me really angry, and I am throwing shade at Sarah. Really <laughs> I was going to say, are we just going to name um, drop SJM, or should people know yeah, by now? Yeah, I guess I should When know. we say that so the toes are curling, about. we all know it's all SJM. <laughs> are your toes curling? You might be Sarah <laughs> you, you may be entitled to financial compensation. <laughs> uh, and, like, having read a, quite a few books in the fiction realm recently that have just kind of been – Honestly, like, very mediocre. Mm -hmm. Um, I feel like, I feel like refreshed a little bit by Taylor Jenkins Reid's writing because I feel like she's a really great writer for her genre. Like, she does the genre of fiction, historical fiction, explicitly justice. Um, Books and Bikes with Chris is a TikTok (laughs) reviewer that I follow. Um, You should go follow him as well. And he accurately, I think, described this book as the antithesis to Colleen Hoover books. Oh! Um, and I think that's that really fitting. good! That's, <laughs> yeah. that's quite right. Like, I really think that's something because, I mean, I have read a lot of, like, blurbs from Colleen Hoover books, and then I've had the great honor of hearing a play-by-play uh, <laughs> retelling by you of a Colleen Hoover book, and I just... Like, I don't love what I'm learning about her. Um, don't read Colleen Hoover say, books. <laughs> they're yeah, not I'm worth just, it. It's bad. They're not worth it. Um, and while you know, I want to be, I want to be fair. Like, is this does this book have the most substance? Like, no, probably not. Like, there are books that have more depth than this one, but the bar is not as low as I think it is with like some of the other very popular. Um, very TikTok famous authors mm. where it's like they're just saying things like I'm I get so frustrated nowadays because I'll read something and it's literally the stupidest thing I've ever read and I'm like why are we entertaining this like hello like and then I'll read a book by Taylor Jenkins read and I'll be like okay all right 
all right, now I see where you're going, you know? Like, I don't, again, like, I don't have, like, I don't think these are the best books that have ever been written, but I think that they are worlds better than some of the stuff that is TikTok popular right yeah. now. Like, mm-hmm. when it comes to, like, books that have a lot of hype yeah. um, and may be considered overhyped. So that's kind of where I am. How about you? Um, so my first peek with this book, um, and I mentioned it earlier, but Platonic Soulmates is mm. such a good aspect that I think I would love to read more of um because and and, and i know all, this book is about all of the husbands in evelyn's life and also her love and relationship with celia but my god i love seeing people in love with their friends um i love the whole idea of seeing a friend as a soulmate and it just makes me so happy because i feel that so much with my friends i can feel it with you and then like our friends that we grew up with in high school and a couple of friends that i met in college i just i think we like need to normalize being in love with your friends because and just like telling our friends that like you love each other because it's wonderful and just makes life so much happier and um i just love loving my friends because these are the people that i can tell my deepest darkest secrets to the ones that i can be 100 percent myself with without fearing any judgment and they just get me um and i love the line if there are different types of soulmates then you are one of mine and that's evelyn talking to harry and I just love that because there are different types of soulmates and not everything has to be romantic. Not everything has to be about sex. Not everything has to mean like, well, I guess we're getting married now. It's just all about love and deep human connection mm-hmm. and looking at another person and knowing that by nature they know you because it's like they were put on this earth for you to meet. And I just, I love that so much. And um, I, I, I just love, I love Platon. I love it so much I can't say it. Platonic soulmates. <laughs> I I agree with you so much about everything but the marriage thing because I'm i starting to think that I feel like platonic soulmates should get married. Yeah. Like, for the tax benefits. Fair. So for the fair. tax benefits, sign a prenup, whatever. You're right. You know, call it a day. Um, Very good would point. would be so much easier, mm-hmm. IMO, than um, going through a divorce with um, someone that you love romantically who ends up being kind of a loser. I don't know. Anyway, I think that all of your points are the correct points um <laughs> and i th- i think i've gotten to the point where i think because of the friendships that i have with people like you caitlin that it's weird to me when people when like you have close friends that like scoff at vulnerability like if you have someone in your life that they're close to you and they're like i can't tell you that you're like you. it's like what? then why am i here you're afraid we're gonna, <laughs> you're afraid we're gonna accidentally get married and have a child together like what do you think is gonna happen if you are open with the person that you are closest that to. you love yeah. you know like what is why have why why have we grown so averse to saying I love you to people that we aren't going to bed with, you know? Right. What was your second peak? I feel like this book fits with a genre that I'm kind of like coining. Um, it's me. <laughs> I came up with it, <laughs> uh, and I'm gonna call it girl boss folklore. Um, girl boss folklore. Yeah. And I want to be clear that the girl boss, girl boss is a, is a genderless term in this case. Mm-hmm. Gender you have, girl boss. If you're if you're a girly, you're a girly. It's nothing to do with gender. You're just a girly if you know, you know. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not really sure. I'm like I haven't figured out if that's exactly what we're gonna call it yet. Um, so if anyone has, <laughs> you're workshopping it. <laughs> please let me know. Yeah, we're workshopping it. Um, but this is. I think there's like a certain type of media that is for the girlies that love a little poetic whimsy, you know, mm-hmm. like a little sprinkle of prose in their morning tea. Um, 
and it's for the girls who love Taylor Swift and quote specific lyrics to themselves, the Sally Rooney girls, the girls who have binged at least one Shonda Rhimes series, <laughs> um, the girls who have been fooled by a scalper for Boy Genius tickets, um, <laughs> oh, no. the girls who have highly specific playlists on Spotify um, and have color-coded bookshelves and agendas. Um, and this book is categorically part of that genre. Mm-hmm. Um, and this probably sounds like, I'm probably going to like look back on this in like two hours and cringe at it because I I have aestheticized and almost commodified the very act of reading a book in the way that we have with many trends. Um, but I'm trying to make sense of this, and I really do feel like this is a book for a special type of girly, a girly that loves, that just loves the drama of it all, that loves, that loves, um, a, like, a, 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 a del- to, live, to live deliciously, essentially, you know? <laughs> like... That's who this is for. A girl who, given the opportunity, would walk into their garden barefoot, holding a wine glass, um, hopefully filled with wine from <laughs> um, somewhere, and from there how to make a good summer salad. Mm. That's who this is for. Oh, a good summer this salad. Is, that's for, this is for the girls, and I think that's great. Like this is really for like that's my that's my peak essentially. This is for the girls, and I like that. <laughs> I like that this is for the girls. I love it, and I love. And that if you're a girl, you know you're a girl. Genre. Yeah, but if you, if but if you're not if you if you're like what you're probably not a girl. Okay, makes sense to me. What's your what's your, <laughs> what's your, what's your valley? Well, firstly, I have a second peak, and mm. that would be oh. <laughs> Okay, guys, Sorry. it's been a couple Sorry. months since we recorded. Feels like, I'm so hot right now; like my face continues to burn. So I think I just get, I'm gonna have to like put this out. Do now. it. What? This is, we're um, not rec- we're not videotaping this one. <laughs> videotaping. What uh, t- what year is it? <laughs> what is what is your you know what what is your uh what's your uh um my uh, second peak? What's my what's your second peak? There we go. When you haven't made a podcast since April. (laughs) (laughs) My second peak is that this was another one of those books where the very last line made me cry. Um, Mm. I did this with Song of Achilles. I did this with Addie LaRue. And I did it with this one. And the last line is, because they are just husbands, I am Evelyn Hugo. And anyway, I think once people know the truth, they will be much more interested in my wife. And I read mm. that, and I was on FaceTime with my friend Anna, and I was like, oh, my God, that was so nice. <laughs> just, like, tears coming down. <laughs> and it was just, it was really nice because it really just is, like, it's one of those lines that just is all-encompassing to, like, after it kind of made the whole book worth it, where it's like, why why do we care about the seven husbands of Evelyn Hugo? And to find out that the book that's going to be written about her in this fictional world um, will be able to tell that truth and that um, her relationship with Celia is going to be out there and that she was bisexual and that she had this whole mm-hmm. life that no one knew. It was just so, like, I was, like, relieved for her that this was going to be out in the world and that she didn't have to, like, ha- feel like she had to hide anymore, that she got to just say it and not have to worry about the consequences. Um, it just, it was just really nice and beautiful, and so I really, really liked it. So what was your valley for this book? Sorry, I just gotta. You're good. If you're, if you, if this was a video podcast, you would all be treated to the sight of my bare chest because 
I'm like overheating this right now. This would not be allowed on YouTube. Um, <laughs> and your loss. Um, <laughs> so, uh, I, I think I had a couple, um, and these did not, I will say these did not come up for me until much later after I read the book. When I first read the book, I closed it and I was like, this is the perfect book. I see nothing wrong with it. And I like walked away. I didn't think about it again. But being forced to think about it again. Forced. forced I say that like it was like You say that like I was choice. like, can we talk about this? And we're going to talk about it whether you like it or not. And you were like, no. Like you help me at gunpoint. Yeah. <laughs> no, you will do the podcast. It was definitely, I feel like it was literally my idea or somebody. So yeah. if that were true, that's hilarious. But um, <laughs> thinking about it again now, after so much time has passed, mm-hmm. I do, I do find that I have some qualms. Um. So I loved the reveal that it was Monique's father in the car with Harry because I genuinely did not see that coming. Right. Oh, that's yours. (laughs) I was like, wow, that's mine. I was like, we had had the the same wavelength. This is hilarious. I think I need to just, I'm so fucking hot. Okay. Mm. This is making me think I should wear more unsleeved tops. Um, I... I'm gonna go down, scroll down to mine now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I find looking back at the book now that I do have some issues with it, mm-hmm. um, just from thinking about it and like having to really process it. Because as I was writing my peaks and valleys, I got to I, I got to my valleys and I was like, yeah, something's up. I don't feel the way I felt about this book a long time ago. Like something is just really off for me about, you know. I, I didn't feel as as genuine about giving it the praise that I wanted to give it, mm-hmm. and I had to, like, explore that a little bit. So I thought a little bit about it. And I think part of it, and I think this is the big thing, is, like, descriptives of this book, about this book, um, I, I think are what are really bothering me. Um, because when people speak about this book, um, they often call it one of the most representative books they've ever read. Um, or at least a model book for anti-racist or queer spaces. And I, I like, I really disagree with that. Mm. Um, I think there's an argument that some of the character development in this book is based on stereotyping about women of color. Um, and it's an argument that I've heard. Um, it's not my argument to make, but it's an argument that I've heard from, um, women of color who have read the book, talked about the book, um, and after reading Sarah J. Maas, where there was also some cases where I was just like, okay, why are we doing this to, like, the one woman of color in our book? Mm-hmm. I feel, like, very disappointed um, with the way that, like, a lot of white, probably primarily female authors write characters of color. I think a lot, I think a good example of this is, even though it's an older one, is, like, Stephanie Meyer writing about um Jacob and his mm, family yeah. in Twilight like it's just like icky um but I, I just I there were times when I like read quotes from this book as I was going back and I was preparing for this podcast where I just felt like there wasn't a lot of intentionality with the characterization um and in the process maybe she ended up alienating a lot of her readers with the way that she described like Monique for example um as being like a mixed woman and i i feel like i just have i i'm walking away just having a lot of questions about some of those characterizations um because 
I don't think the argument is that like white authors can't write characters of color. I think the argument is that they need to be intentional about it so they're not reproducing inequalities and like weird fucked up stereotypes about people in the process. Um, so there's that. Um, and then I don't know for certain, but I think if I were to reread this right now, I'd probably think that Celia and Evelyn would not be a great couple. <laughs> There's they like have a, some issues. <laughs> they are frustrating. Like yeah. there's like they have such a bad they they're really bad at communicating with each other. Oh, that um, was so annoying. I'm just like just talk to each other. And like there are things that happen to them. I understand there are things that happen to them yeah. that yeah. are tied explicitly to the time period they were in mm-hmm. and the expectations that were set for them as women and that I understood. But then there were things that I think transcended those barriers that I was like you guys just need to like meet somewhere and like talk this out because it was one of those things we talk about a lot where it's like you get frustrated because you're like you could just talk about it this could all be solved by talking about it yeah there's nothing keeping you from having a conversation about it yeah there was literally a section in the book where evelyn was just like i i would think i'm gonna do this thing but i don't think celia's gonna be happy with it but I'm going to go do it anyway. And then afterwards she did it, she goes, oh, well, I did it. And now I'm just not going to tell Celia. Oh, but then I'm going to tell her, oh, no, she's mad at me? <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, no, not the consequences of your own actions. Not the consequences of my own actions. I'm just like, yeah, of course she's mad. <laughs> you said that she would be. <laughs> like, I don't know. It's just like, it's like, I get so frustrated when in books and TV, any sort of media, whereas it, the problem could have been solved if you just if two characters just spoke to each other about it yeah <laughs> it's, it's not that hard and it makes it's like it makes sense for them to have some problems because of yeah. the world they're living in and because people who love each other have problems in a relationship mm-hmm. like to to illustrate that any other day might be reductive but like to the extent that it was like you guys can't even communicate over this one thing that just yeah. seems like it would be like an easy such an maybe easy, yeah, yeah. is like a little delulu mm-hmm. um <laughs> And then I think on that same front, um, I love, listen, Evelyn Hare's relationship is so important to me. It's like one of my favorite parts of this book. But it also Mm -hmm. bothered me that their relationship was significantly more developed than hers and Celia's. Mm. Um, Because it's like, yeah, like this book is about, is really about their friendship, like at the end of the day. But sometimes it's marketed as a sapphic book and primarily that. And it's primarily marketed as being oftentimes about Evelyn and Celia. And I just didn't get that from this book. I wasn't like, these two are the two characters in this book that are great for each other. Um, and I don't know if they it needed to end up that way, but it just felt like TJR had no spoons left for development of Evelyn and Celia's relationship. Um, to the extent that, like, I felt like Celia's characterization at some points was, like, kind of villainous. Like, she was kind of, like, mm. characterized as, like, being a little, like, evil. Um a little like nasty and it was like and and they kind of came off that way to each other so many times that i was like what are we like what is this about like what are we doing like we're infantilizing harry who is a gay man and then we're like villainizing the one lesbian in the book i don't know if that works here like i don't want to play i don't it's not that i want to don't want to play identity politics but to the extent that these books are supposed to be about like this important sapphic relationship during a time when sapphic relationships weren't accepted, I feel like I'm getting lost in mm. a lot of what's going on here. Um, and 
and I'll say this also, like, as a queer, as a queer, I say this like that's my credential, but like, <laughs> as a queer person, here's my resume, here's and your it's, resume. Just says, it's just like, queer. it's just the pride um, flag. <laughs> it's just, it, yeah, so, but like, I do think there's an argument to be made that this book's sapphic portrayals were almost heterocentric at some times, like, mm. Celia is often compared to a heterosexual man, Evelyn is like often sees like seeing Celia through the eyes of someone who is often comparing her to a man and like this happens a lot during the book to the extent that I was just like I just kept thinking back and like maybe this is just me but like I feel like my relationships with women and the way I think about women it's it's I'm not I'm never like comparing them to men because my relationships with women are not about men like (laughs) that's the point that's the fucking point so so the whole time I was just like okay (laughs) and uh he's here you know um um but yeah those were kind of my hang-ups like and and like this is just again like this is my opinion like yeah it's my opinion! This is just how I feel about it. Like, there are probably people who really love this book and felt seen in this book, and I don't want to discredit that because I think that, like, it's really important for people to be able to pick up a book and say, okay, Evelyn Hugo reminds me of me. Hmm? Celia and Evelyn remind me of me and my girlfriend. Um, though if that's the case, uh, you guys should consider couples therapy. Um, you know what I mean? Like, but, but, but in all seriousness, I really, like... I really value the ability to open up a book like this and see yourself. But at the same time, I personally just kind of felt a little off put by some of that rhetoric. Um, I think in hindsight, I liked the idea of Evelyn and Celia more than I actually liked them. Mm, Um, I love the idea, like these two beautiful women who were able to find each other in a time that they could not love each other openly, but only in secrecy. But the execution, I think I needed to be convinced more that they had a good reason to end up together at the end because yeah. the relationship just felt so underdeveloped to me. Yeah. I feel like a lot of it was like, they're together and now they're apart. And now they're together again. Oh, but now they're mm-hmm. apart. They're together again. Oh, but now they're fighting. Yeah. <laughs> they're together again. Oh, and, now one of them's dead. <laughs> like... And all of this aside, straight people are allowed to have infinite mediocre love stories about themselves in books so it's like i'm not even that mad about it i'm not (laughs) gonna complain but you know um read read more sapphic books everyone not just everyone um so caitlin um we've got apparently we've got an evelyn hugo netflix adaptation cool but i also have a valley oh my god Over, I'm, as you can see, so my temperature, if you were to, like, stick a meat thermometer on my face right now, it'd be, like, 105 degrees. You um, are so red. <laughs> I know. It's, like, scary. I don't even know how. Like, I think it must be, like, I really don't know why. I think it's this light. Maybe if I turn this off, I'll feel better. But now I'm scary looking. It's okay. <laughs> it's okay. Like, this right. is not a video podcast. Um, okay. So my valley, as Emberlyn started to say earlier, was that I love the reveal that it was Monique's father in the car with Harry. <laughs> because I genuinely did not see it coming. Please edit that out. No. Okay. <laughs> but I, uh, I genuinely, like, I really loved it. I didn't see it coming. But I hated so, so much 
how Evelyn gives Monique the letter he wrote to Harry, and she tells Monique basically like, "You deserve to know how much your father loved you." And I was so mad. Like when I read that, I was like, "She knows. She doesn't need this basically stranger to tell her that her father loved her." Like it just it felt very wrong to me, and it felt like um, to me like Evelyn's like, "Hey, I'm gonna give you this." horrible and life-changing reveal about how your father died and that he wasn't under the influence and that also he was just left there to die and Mm kind of basically framed for the whole accident um but it's okay because i have this letter for you and he talks about how much he loved you and your mother in it um so it's fine it's okay like here have it it's fine and it just it just made me mad because if it were my dad and someone not only left him to die, but also made it look like the accident was his fault. And I didn't know the truth of how it happened. And this person ha- who has no audacity, or the- this person just had the audacity to be like, I just thought you should know that he loved you. Like, I, but I know. I know my dad. You didn't know. You don't know my dad. You don't, you don't get to tell me how he felt about me or my mom. Like, she, like Monique, Monique already knew this. And I just mm-hmm. feel like it was a bigger deal. And yes, Monique was mad about it for a bit, but it was pretty quickly like resolved where she was just like, it's okay. <laughs> and then the I was like, wait, wait, wait. There was not enough there was not enough book left for this conflict to be resolved. Yeah. And it just bothered I me. I agree with that. Because part of it is like, okay, it seems like Monique as an adult woman has healed a lot yeah. from the trauma of losing her father. So for Evelyn to like come back and like rip those wounds open. Yeah, that was another reason why it bothered me. I'm like, she was doing okay. And now you just ripped it all over again. <laughs> open again. It's not great. And then I agree with you about the structuring of the book that it felt like we weren't left with enough time. And neither was Monique to grapple with. Right feeling that loss all over again and it's like (laughs) it's like what's really important here the seven husbands of evelyn hugo or that guy she like died like (laughs) on a highway like i don't know Um, also what what really gets me is that monique learns of this truth about her father's death and then not very long after she's meant to dealt with the death of evelyn herself who she knows mm-hmm. is going to take control of the end of her life and put it into her own hands and, you know, do that. So, and then to have that knowledge that, like, I can't, like, you can't stop her. She's going to do it anyway. And she mm-hmm. was kind of, like, left with that, like, um, that conflict within herself. Like, do I stop her? But even though I know this is what she wants, and then I just spent all this time with her, and now she's going to be gone from the world, and now I have to publish this book and also deal with the fact that I just learned this thing about my father. Like, that's a lot to go through, and I just hope that Monique has a therapist in her (laughs) contacts. For real? Yeah, I feel like that's the least she deserves. Right. After Evelyn was like, hey, by the way, oh, and by the way, your dad, (laughs) you know? Just thought you should know. (laughs) And I just want you to know. So, Caitlin, it seems like we may uh, be getting a Netflix adaptation of Evelyn Hugo in the upcoming couple of years, question mark. I really don't know a lot about when this is coming out. Um, But um, in light of a lot of recent book talk books being adapted, I thought it'd be fun for us to talk a little bit about our dream cast uh, for uh, the upcoming... um, 
adaptation. I couldn't think of the word. Did you say it was? Um, a, it's it's a movie. It's supposed to be a movie. Yeah, I think so. It's a Netflix movie. Scary. And okay. <laughs> that could mean that could either be a really good thing or a really fucking bad I was thing. Say. Um, oh hey. But uh, I thought we could talk a little bit about like our dream cast and like people would want to see. Um, and your cat, Honey, could also be here. Yeah, Honey's also here. She well. is very excited about the Netflix adaptation, aren't you? Yeah. Honey's actually going to be playing Evelyn Hugo. <laughs> so this is Evelyn Hugo. <laughs> Say hi. Hello. <laughs> Some, can you hear her? I can't hear her, but I'm sure I'll show up on that. All right, so who do you want playing Evelyn? Anna de Armas. Yes. Um, which I think it makes is a good fit. Like, it makes sense. Um, she was just in Marilyn. Um and she definitely like looks the part. She's beautiful. Um, some other people I've heard are like Sofia Megara, um, who was again beautiful mm-hmm. and like one of my favorite actresses. Um, and then like I, I also really just because I think it'd be awesome. I I'd love to see maybe like someone up and coming in the role. Yeah, yeah. Um, I feel like sometimes that's like the best thing that could happen also to avoid nepotism babies but like also just because i think it's it takes me out in um a book adaptation when someone very well known is casted because it's like oh that's not this person that's the celebrity i know and it just unless they're a really really good actor i don't think it works do i have an example to go off of not right now but i'll think think about examples No, I'm not making you think. I like if I was a really good podcaster, I'd be like, "Oh, and here's an example of that." But I don't have. <laughs> I'm just no. I'm literally saying like I'm gonna start thinking about this. Oh, okay. Oh, here's one. Um, Adam Driver and Lady Gaga in House of Gucci. Um, oh, I didn't watch that. It. I mean, the whole time I was like, "That's Lady Gaga and Adam Driver." Adam Driver and <laughs> yeah. House of Gucci. Like those are not the. That's that is not the the Gucci family. Um, mm-hmm. So I agree with you there. I think it'd have to be someone really good. Like, I think about, like, Christian Bale. I think it is in Vice or, like, yeah. It, it, it has to be, like, really, really good. It can't – you're right. It can't yeah. just be, like, anybody. It can't be Harry Styles. As Harry Evelyn Hugo. Styles. <laughs> Harry Styles as Evelyn Hugo. Well, it's, like – and I haven't seen it yet, but don't worry, darling. I'm like, that's just Harry Styles. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, and also, like, I mean, he's not, like, A-list celebrity, but – I don't I, maybe I just didn't like Daisy Jones of the Six, but like Sam Claflin as Billy Dunn, I was just like, no. Mm. Like someone, uh, maybe we even said this in the podcast, but people said that like the cast had iPhone face, <laughs> where they just they were yeah. too twenty first century to be in the seventies. <laughs> it was mm-hmm. supposed to be taking place, so they yeah. just don't look like real people. Yeah, um, yeah, up and coming would be like, great. Because like when I think about, because like when I think about like. Who I'd want to see as Evelyn. Um, I want to see someone like Elizabeth Taylor and Marilyn Monroe are both beautiful women, but they also have very unique facial features mm-hmm. to the extent that like you could identify them in a crowd of people. They don't look like anybody else. They don't look like I feel like the very robotic iPhone face that you mm-hmm. just described. Yeah. Um, and I feel like that's who you'd want in a role like this. If that person, if they if they had veneers, if they had a nose job, I just don't think it'd be as believable because right. people 
in that time did not have those things as right. commonly. Yeah. Um, another one I just thought of was Rachel Zegler, um, who is Maria in the new West Side Story movie. Um, oh, oh f- yeah, 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 yeah. She's incredible. I grew up with her, like, just watching her on YouTube. She has an incredible voice. Like, she mm-hmm. belongs among amidst the stars um <laughs> so i think i'd love to see her in this role because i feel like she's still up and coming in her career at least and it still has like some pretty big pictures under her belt mm-hmm. um without being the most recognizable yeah um what do you think about celia caitlin um... <laughs> <laughs> i think it should be me <laughs> Literally, uh, before we started, everyone said that she was going to ask this question. I was like, Celia should be me. Because, <laughs> like, it works. I was literally Googling them, like, famous redheaded actresses, and half of them are, like, dyed red hair, or they currently don't have any <laughs> But, uh. Should I, like, should I get highlights, and then we can be them for Halloween next year? Yeah, that'd be fun. <laughs> <laughs> literally, it's, it's kind of funny, because, like, um, I was also saying before we started, I'm like, it was really hard. I don't know I usually get like a pretty good picture um with the books that I read of like what these people look like but I just I just think I wasn't like taking the time to do that with this book except for Celia because it was like oh red hair blue eyes I see that every day in the mirror this is easy that's me baby (laughs) (laughs) so I can do that um earlier you mentioned Jessica Chastain I could totally see that um uh someone mentioned Saoirse Ronan um, oh. which I like Saoirse Ronan like I'm okay with that I like that I like yeah. that um, someone said Anya Taylor-Joy which I don't have anything against Anya Taylor-Joy but I think I'm just um, done with seeing her for a bit that sounds horrible but like I feel like I've seen her in so I'm much <laughs> Where... I want like an op-ed that's like why I'm done with seeing Anya Taylor-Joy for a bit <laughs> like she's done nothing wrong she's to my knowledge a decent person but like I think I've just seen her in too much where I'm like oh that's Anya Taylor-Joy like, I knew that she was in Queen's Gambit. I didn't watch it. But then I saw her in Emma. And I'm like, oh, my God, she's great. And then I saw her in Peaky Blinders. I was like, oh, my God, she's great. And then I saw her in some other movie. And I was like, okay, that's Anya Taylor-Joy. <laughs> and then I went and saw I went and saw the Super Mario Brothers movie. And I was like, yep, that's Anya Taylor-Joy. <laughs> You've reached your Anya Taylor-Joy quota. <laughs> I literally have. She's a great actress. But um, I think maybe she can sit this one out. That's fair. <laughs> um... Yeah. I really like Jessica Chastain too. I think Jessica Chastain is the dream because she yeah. is I mean, she is a classically beautiful person. Like mm-hmm. she is gorgeous. Um I I know that she when we talked about this a little bit before we started recording, um, I know that she uh it's not happening with her. I feel like there was some clarification early in last like two months ago. April, actually. Wow. That feels like that was eight years it ago. It just happened. Um where she kind of said, no, that's not happening with me. Um, I feel like another option is Bryce Dallas Howard, um, mm. who is, again, beautiful, very classically beautiful. Um, and I just feel like she'd be a good fit. Um, someone said uh, Christina Hendricks, um, Sophie Turner. I mm. feel like I've heard a lot of great names. There just so happens to be a, a lot of incredibly talented red-headed women in Hollywood. There are. They're really representing us well. <laughs> As a redheaded woman, we got we got a good selection. <laughs> Literally, for real, for real. Um, how about Harry? Like, have you thought about Harry at all? Harry Styles. <laughs> I hope it is. I really Harry hope so. Styles. Um, <laughs> so, uh, to be very transparent, I'm still like 
we're coming off of succession <laughs> still <laughs> you know ah. like it just ended like a few weeks ago and i'm still unpacking the entire series so i was like what if i just make this entire like dreamcast of evelyn hugo the cast of succession <laughs> so i put jeremy strong lol <laughs> um which i would not want to see him because he will forever and only ever be kendall roy um, we're actually going to go see him on Broadway. <laughs> yeah, we are. I'm manifesting so, it. We're going to so. go see him on Broadway. We're going to go see Kendall Roy. I just watched that. Um, it wasn't an Actors on Actors because it was a different um, company doing it, but it was basically like their version of Actors Roundtable. And I watched it because it was like Jeremy Strong, Bella Ramsey, Patrick Stewart, Christina Ritchie, et cetera, et cetera. And the entire time he was speaking, I'm like, you're just Kendall. <laughs> like, He's so, this is yeah. so just Kendall Roy. Um, so that was my jokey answer. But I also said James Martin. Um, because I also just truly cannot. Are you googling who James Marsden is? How absolute dare you, Miss? You watch Dead oh, to yeah. Me? Dare you? Oh my gosh, <sighs> he's so pretty. I've loved this man this since two thousand and two. He was uh he because he was Cyclops yeah, really in the X Men and he's great. Um, if you haven't watched Jury Duty yet, um, please do. I just that made me fall in love with him even more. Mm. Um. I just want to see him in more things because uh, I love him and watching Jury Duty made me really uh, love him even more. So <laughs> at the one James time, One time I found a TikTok sound of him like his one of his singing parts in Hairspray and I just watched I like looped it over and over again mm-hmm. while I did the dishes. As you should. And I don't regret it. You shouldn't. <laughs> um, what about Monique? This is hard for me because I like I don't know like I don't know. I don't know. I I keep thinking about Harry Styles now, and it's like not. I'm not endorsing this. In fact, I'm like worried about it a little bit. I'm like, please don't do this. But I keep thinking about it now, and it's making me laugh. It's making me have a good, a good, don't worry, darling, level chuckle. Um, but I was thinking like Matt Bomber, um, from White Collar. I that's like what I know him from, and or like Dan Levy. Dan um, Levy. <laughs> I kept reading and I see where you wrote Jeremy Strong in the notes and I'm just like laughing because that, he's just like that would be, be so funny? interesting and weird. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I was thinking maybe Matt Bomber. I feel like he's gorgeous. He is very charming. I feel like he really fits in with Harry's. Uh, I feel like his vibe in the book, um, and that's kind of who I pictured when I was reading it. Hmm. Um, but then again, like someone up and coming, I I continue to root for because i want to see more people in actors that are not the same people i always more, more people in movies that aren't the same people, people I always in see. things um for monique uh did you have anybody in mind i was thinking like i don't know if, it, if her name is pronounced natalie or if it is natalie but natalie emmanuel uh she was in game of thrones i could see her as monique mm. And that's as far as I got with that one. Because, again, I was not picturing anybody. <laughs> I'm, I'm so uh, horrible at, like, fan casts. Like I, like, I see people do them on TikTok, and they're usually the most atrocious fan casts I've ever seen. Because they oh, all yeah. have, like, Harry Styles or Ezra yeah. Miller. And I'm like, no! <laughs> Get them out of there! <laughs> you know? Why are we giving Ezra Miller so TikTok the other day that was like, Ezra... Something, something, Ezra Miller's controversial behavior. And then someone else was like, oops, you said it wrong. Easy mistake. You meant crimes. <laughs> <laughs> you meant crime. 
I was thinking, as I'm watching it right now, I'm watching Yellow Jackets. I'm Ooh. loving Yellow Jackets. I think Tawny Cypress would be really good in this role. Um, I'm obsessed with her. I'm in love with her. She's beautiful. Um, and I, uh, I just could see her in this role. Um, I can see, like, her beautiful, like, curly hair like getting in her face while she's writing i'm like romanticizing a little bit but there's like a scene in yellow jackets where she's like sitting at the window or something and she she like kind of like pulls her hat over her face and i'm just like oh my god your mother (laughs) Um, mother you are you are who i picture when i'm reading a book um every time no matter what the book is always (laughs) even if it's the hungry caterpillar um (laughs) Yeah. And then I was also thinking, like, maybe, like, Laverne Cox, who is another one of my favorite actresses. Mm. Um, I feel like she'd be a really good fit in this role. Because, um, like, she was another person who I was really picturing when I was reading Monique. Um, so those were my two. Um, do you have any, like, predictions, Caitlin, for how you think um, how you think this is going to go? <laughs> like, I'm... this whole, like, adaptation. Oh, <laughs> I mean, I... <laughs> If you've been following along with our podcast, you know that we've been very disappointed with the recent adaptations of books that we've been watching lately. It's not been a good... It's not been a good streak for books being turned into shows uh, or movies. Um, It's on Netflix, so that scares me a bit. Um, Yeah. Very scary. I Honestly, like, the only things that have impressed me have been from HBO... (laughs) yeah um but not i mean i don't want to just make it like oh because it's on this platform it's gonna be bad because there are some good things on netflix what are they i don't know but i'm sure there's something um (laughs) Uh i'm sure there's something out there i don't know i haven't found it yet but maybe that thing will be the seven husbands of evelyn hugo however because it's gonna be a movie i'm a little scared because i don't want things to be rushed and there is a lot of content within each like section of this book so the book is broken up into the different husbands and so i'm afraid that things are going to be looked over brushed over um i'm sure there are things that don't need you know all of the attention but i don't know i'm just i'm just afraid that big plot points might get overlooked or too rushed or not completely developed and then um i also I'm just afraid of it not being good, like good quality, good anything, because I just, I, my expectations are so very low (laughs) when it comes to things getting adapted. So I think what I have to do when it comes to my favorite books being adapted into things is just kind of like forget the book for a minute while I'm watching it and just kind of take it as is. And then maybe afterwards, like, think about what happened in the book i tried to do that with shadow and bone like at first i'm like oh my god they're doing great and then i was like oh my god what the fuck are they doing Mm. (laughs) so i just had to be like you know what this is completely different from the books anyway with how this show is set up let's just take it as its own thing um did it make me like it no but (laughs) you know at least it was a little bit more enjoyable to watch as its own separate thing so i'm scared um (laughs) lots of lots of fear happening on my front how about you same like i think i wonder if maybe daisy jones and the six should have been a movie and this should have been a show like, yeah maybe because i think of everything that was included in daisy jones and the six and how some of it just felt so like unnecessary 
And I'm like, okay, maybe that could have been, maybe there was a sequence, some sequencing that needed to happen there that would have made more sense versus here. Um, but I don't want to, I don't want to judge it too quickly. I will say, I, I feel like all of my fears and concerns um, are the same. It's just, I feel like, I feel like just the lack of originality mm-hmm. that we have now yeah, in this world um, has made me feel really uncomfortable with some of the quote unquote remakes and like adaptations we've been seeing. I feel like a lot of them are just money grabs versus actual pieces of art that mm-hmm. um, were like the creative motivation is like to feel something to have others feel something versus like take my money you know yeah so there's that um so i i don't know also yeah i i think the thing that the fact that it's on netflix does not make me feel great either because mm-hmm. i feel like netflix is kind of a graveyard for like good ideas um so yeah <laughs> i i feel not great about what's to come yeah i i think we need to if if a book gets popular, that doesn't mean it needs to be on our screens. Yeah. You know? Good good question. Yeah, good point, good point, good point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, however, if I published a book, I would want an adaptation because I would like to make more money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> on a scale of one to seven husbands of Evelyn Hugo, what do you rate the seven husbands of Evelyn Hugo? Hmm. Um... I'm going to say, like, 5.5 out of 7 husbands. Mm. Um, I think this is a good book for the genre, but overall, I think it does lack the nuance and characterization and depth that I think characters like Monique and Celia, like, really deserved. Mm. How about you? Um, I'm kind of about the same, like, 5 out of 7, 6 out of 7. Like, I really enjoyed the book. I had a great time. Um, It was really fun to do a buddy read. It was fun to, like... Uh, she would get ahead of me and I'm like oh my god I have to catch up I'm so excited <laughs> like mm-hmm. it was I had a great experience but as far as the story goes um I don't think about it <laughs> often yeah like I had a great time I put it down and then it's, it's not like one of those books where I'm like oh that was such a good book it was more of like that was fun that was great and then I move yeah. on so it was a really good book it was really well written in my opinion but it's not um there there are books that I've read that are much better and much more higher up for me and have the full yeah. seven so i agree from both honey and i thank you for listening to lit by moonlight tune it yeah do you want to take it what are we what are we talking about next week that's right, you heard it here folks succession we're talking about HBO succession because Emberlo and I went a little insane about it and we can't not talk about it on the podcast. So see you next time. Bye.